Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, page 816 in the church Bibles. And we are at the very end now, this morning, of 1 Corinthians, believe it or not. We're going to read in just a moment from verse 19 all the way to the end of the book. Okay. Verse 19, page 816 in the Church Bibles, 1 Corinthians 16. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. All the brothers here send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. If anyone does not love the Lord... A curse be on him. Come, O Lord. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. And if you have an NIV, you'll notice from the text, uh, some manuscripts do not have that amen, and they just end with the word Jesus. All right. Let's pray together. Father, we, with our Bibles open before us, ask that you would please open the eyes of those who are spiritually blind and you will take away all that makes us unresponsive to your voice and this instruction from your word as a result of our sin, our rebellion, and unbelief. Thank you sincerely for watching over us so tenderly as we work through this book verse by verse, week by week, month by month. And be pleased, Father, in these final verses to draw men and women to yourself. And for those of us who do believe, grant that we would offer our lives to you in unreserved service. For we want to see you, Lord Jesus, lifted high as a banner across this county and this country and this world. And so it is for Jesus' sake that we ask these things. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I find it extremely hard to say goodbye. And it seems to me as we move along in years, the goodbyes begin to pick up. And certainly the way in which we say goodbye will probably say something about us. Better still, the way in which we would end a letter or an email or even a text of some kind probably says something about us as well. And so since this letter is a letter ultimately from God to the church, the kind of goodbye that we're given here is the kind of goodbye that we would expect, and it's the kind of goodbye we would do well to pay careful attention to. Every word here is important. Every line will teach. And so in these closing remarks, Paul is saying goodbye to a church which was an unruly church. It was a church that had been divided much of the time, and it was a church that was filled with pride, yet still Paul is going to say goodbye to a church which belongs to Jesus Christ. And that ought to mean something. So then these verses have to mean something, and they do. And equally, the verses ought to teach us something, and they will with God's help. Now, you probably picked this up when I was reading that the word greeting was over and over again. It's implied or it's written there six times. 
So what we'll do is we'll kind of let that theme, greeting, mark our way out through these verses. Uh, Three points, pretty simple, greeting from without, greeting from within, and finally greeting from him. And then the him, of course, is the Apostle Paul. First of all, then, greeting, uh, greetings from without. Now, when you look at verse 19, or maybe when you heard it read, admittedly, they, there may not be uh, much there for you. Maybe none, no dramatic impact uh, on your initial reading. The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Okay, the person says, that's nice, but what's the big deal in this? Right? Well, the big deal in this is this. Until Jesus Christ sent Paul into the province of Asia, there were no churches in the province of Asia, which means there were more than likely no Christians in the province of Asia. So you see, the fact that these churches send their greetings is a wonder, and it is a miracle of God's grace. So what happened? Well, what happened was Paul, for two years, and you can read of this in Acts chapter 19, for two years, in the heat of the afternoon, when people were off work for a few hours, Paul rented a lecture hall, and Luke records for us, for two years, Paul had discussions daily, so that, listen carefully, so that every Jewish person and every Greek person in the whole province of Asia, some words up where around 400,000 plus people, every Jewish person, every Greek person in the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. In other words, everyone in that province heard that there is coming a judgment on their sin. They heard that those sins have to be forgiven. They heard that Jesus is the key to that forgiveness. They heard that God only forgives by substitution. His son's death paying the penalty of our sin. And so in essence, they heard Jesus explained by Paul. Now, what I want to say to Paul is right on Paul, doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way. He opened his manuscript and he let the word of the Lord do the work of the Lord. And under God, he was met with success. Large numbers of people, Acts chapter 19 tells us, they moved from darkness to light. Again, everyone in the province of Asia heard the gospel and many people received the gospel. So it ought to be a wonderful thing to the Christian. It ought to be a heart-leaping thing to the Christian. When men and women who were lost, who had been under God's wrath on account of their sin, people who live without God and without hope in the world, people who live neck-deep in paganism, and people who just practice useless religious routines and endeavors. Now, on account of the grace of God and the ministry of Paul, one man... Paul doing the Lord's work, the Lord's way. People were converted. And when people are converted in the Bible, they congregate. And now these churches, and as they are many churches, they send their greetings to the brothers and sisters in the church in Corinth. Now listen, how cool is that? The heart leaping a little bit, thinking that, yeah, Jesus, saving your people, building your church, your glory being known throughout the world. By the way, at the end of the first century, when the book of Revelation is penned, you'll note in chapters 2 and 3, there were many churches now in the province of Asia. How come there were many churches in the province of Asia? You ready? Here it is. Because one person rented a little hall and taught the Holy Bible. Catch that? One person rented a little hall and he taught the Holy Bible. We have so much to learn from this, for we know we can complicate things so much in missionary work. But whatever missionary work is, it comes down to this. Have a Savior in your heart. 
Have a Bible in your hand. Have a solid scriptural understanding. The gospel. Know it. Jesus. Know him. Study a language if you need to so you can communicate the truth. And then go. Then go. Is that it? Well, yeah, that's basically it. So this simple greeting here that we would be probably most people would skip over. And I don't think this is a stretch to say that probably most of us here have never heard sermons from these final five verses. They help us in at least two ways. Number one, it would bring encouragement to the church, but certainly to any Christian reading this, reminding us that God is at work in the world. God is at work in the world. So yeah, the world is a mess. But you know, when has the world not been a mess? Still, God is saving his people and God is establishing his kingdom in the church all over the world. And we don't need to be a rocket scientist to have every, and, and have everything lined up just perfectly so that we can do his bidding and, and enjoy his success. One guy with a Bible and a hall. And loved ones, how awful it would be if this doesn't thrill us in some measure, right? And how awful, awful it would be if the only time that we're hap, hap, happy with Jesus and hap, hap, happy about people coming to faith in him is only when everything is going right for us, right? Everything right with me and those people are getting converted, great, praise the Lord. But if my life is kind of troubled, then I don't get too amped up about stuff like that. A life wrapped up only in ourselves, will soon choke us. But a life wrapped up in Jesus, it will delight us. And in some measure, it'll thrill us. That's the first thing. God is at work. Let your heart find great joy in this, no matter our situation. The second thing is this greeting enlarges their perspective. In other words, God is at work all over the world, so the Corinthians were not it. You know what I mean? Like it, like the only church you'll recall that the Corinthians had a huge problem with pride. Their pride regarded them as uh, we're the number one Christians in the number one church. That's us. Number one Christians, number one church. And of course they were not. No church can be ranked number one. How could that ever be? You know, we may read of a church being ranked number one, but only a muddle-headed person would print such a thing and only a muddle-headed person would believe such a thing. Paul wants us to know that God is at work everywhere. And they were not the church, but they had the privilege of being one of many churches. And what makes every church that names the name of Jesus Christ so fantastic is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. So the greeting then enlarges their perspective. It deepens their sense of partnership. It reminds us, it reminds them to some, find some encouragement in Jesus. Jesus is at work. So the greeting comes from churches. And you'll notice verse 20, if your Bible's open, the greetings come from the brothers. All the brothers send you greetings as well. Right? These were brothers from other mothers. They weren't brothers' brothers. Right? In other words, the brothers were more than likely Paul's ministry team. The names were important because they were family. Right? They were God's family. And so you get this sense in the ministry of Paul and his ministry team that they were tight. They were really tight. I mean, why wouldn't they be? You have one Lord and you have one work and you have one gospel and you have one spirit. And they're all sinners and they're all saved by grace. So how could they not help but to be brothers or sisters? Greetings from all the churches. Greetings from all the brothers. Verse 19b. 
Greetings from Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla greet you in the Lord, and so does the church which meets at their house. Now, how did that all happen? Well, when Paul left Athens, and again, you can read of this in Acts chapter 18, Paul went to Corinth. Upon arriving in Corinth, he met this lovely gospel couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who had recently moved um, from Italy to Corinth. Okay, why did they leave Italy? Well, it was because a gentleman named Claudius, the Roman emperor, he thought that Rome would be better off if all the Jews were out of Rome. And so he kicks him out. So the gospel couple, Aquila and Priscilla, who apparently were Jewish, they moved to Corinth. And here we see the great wonder of our God. He had an ordinary couple, seemingly pushed out of Rome by Claudius. You know, Claudius, sovereign ruler of the world. And yet Claudius, a pagan king, listen carefully, an enemy of Jesus Christ, he's going to be used to work out the very purposes of God to save many people in the province of Asia, in part because Claudius decides that he doesn't want Jews in Rome anymore. Do you get that? So this lovely gospel couple who got thrown out of Rome on a certain day would meet up with this little Jewish man named Paul. And he would need help and he would need a home. And this gospel couple gave him both. Paul made tents. He loved Jesus. Aquila and Priscilla made tents. And what do you know? They love Jesus. And they meet and off they go. And the three were the missionary team Jesus established using a pagan king, Claudius, to fulfill God's plan. God's sovereign will being worked out even in the seeming disruptions of life for his followers. Now listen very, very carefully. Is there a lesson for us here this morning? Answer, yes there is. Here it is. God is in charge of our changes. God is in charge of our changes. God is in charge of our disruptions. You have a difficult situation arise. You have a major life disruption. Something happens and your world is turned, it seems to you, upside down. What does a hymn writer say? The hymn writer says what the Bible says. God is working his purposes out as year succeeds to year. One of my favorites, William Cowper, God works in the mysterious ways. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, faith sees a smiling face. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Why can that song be true? Answer, God is in charge of our changes. Paul meets the gospel couple. Paul works with the gospel couple. Lives are changed as the Spirit of God works through the gospel couple. And all of this is caused, again, from the human perspective, by a major life disruption for the gospel couple by a ruthless pagan king. But you see, the king might have thought he was doing something huge and big and, you know, uh, throwing his power around. But this changed nothing. Uh, the couple kept on keeping on. They kept their eyes on Jesus. Their circumstances had changed, yes, but they didn't change. Why, why should it change? What was always true of them will still be true of them. Whether it was in Italy or Corinth or wherever, God is in charge of our changes. Now, we have some things to learn from this couple 
I could think of three. Here they are. Number one, their hospitality was marked by their maturity. God used their big hearts and their deep understanding of the gospel in the lives of many people. Indeed, Paul was helped by them and Apollos was helped by them. Remember Apollos? He didn't have the full gospel straight in his head. So what did God do? Well, God sent Aquila and Priscilla into Apollos' life and they say, Apollos, come on over to our home. We got some stuff to tell you. Acts 18, 26, both Aquila and Priscilla explained to Apollos the word of God more adequately. Okay? Their hospitality was marked by their maturity. Their maturity was marked by their liberality. Open home. Now listen, we're not told their age and their stage in life probably because it doesn't really matter. Right? So, so those of us who are married, whether we're a young married couple, we're a middle-aged uh, married couple, we're an older married couple, we ask ourselves the question, are we a gospel couple? Are we a gospel couple? Is ours a gospel home? A gospel home which welcomes people in and then builds them up and encourages them and serves them and explains the Bible to them and shows them the Bible in real time by our care of them. Is ours a gospel home? Is ours a gospel couple? Hmm. Well, we're a busy couple. Okay. We're a traveling couple. Okay. Well, mama doesn't like it when people come over. Okay? We've worked hard for a long time, and now it's just some us time. Not so with Aquila, and not so with Priscilla. You see? Now, if you're an older couple and you're here this morning, can I just give you some words of encouragement and advice? If you invite a young couple to give them some gospel care, don't do this. Don't say things like the world is going into a hell in a handbasket and this is too high and this is wrong and, you'll, this, and this is terrible. I mean, you really want to do that to a young couple just starting out. After all these years of God's provision and care and watchful care over you. Would you do that? Paulus didn't get that. Aquila and Priscilla would probably just open up their Bible and give him Jesus. That's probably the best thing. So, Their maturity was marked by their liberality. And then finally, their liberality was marked uh, by the fact that clearly they love Jesus. I mean, why would you do that year after year if you didn't love Jesus? Year after year. Why would you not uh, do that? Well, if you didn't love Jesus, you probably wouldn't do it. But if you love Jesus, you probably would do it. Come on in. We're going to take really good care of you in Christ's name. Now, you know I like music. I can't help this stuff. As soon as I wrote that line in my notes a few days ago, a song popped in my head. Oak Ridge Boys. This is it. This is a good one. I baptized it so it's safe to read out loud. (laughs) When I get tired and a little lonely, the world turns its cold back on me. When I'm about to swear, I ain't got a friend left to my name. Instead of sinking a little lower... I start making tracks on over to a place where the sun shines day and night. And I know I hear you say, come on in, baby, take your coat off. Come on in, baby, take a load off. Come on in, baby, shake the blues off. I'm going to love that frown away. Right? Come on in. This is a Jesus home. This is a gospel home. You matter greatly here. There's plenty for you here. Loved ones, many of us, Thank God for certain couples that have just put into our lives and they make dramatic impact 
because of this kind of care. Husbands and wives opening up their homes, sharing their lives, sharing their food, sharing their time, sharing their money. God's grace abounding in that gospel home. And loved one, you are these people. I mean, you have to understand this. The impact of our home for the gospel is incalculable. So you might think, well, I don't have a lot to offer. My place is kind of small. So what? If you want to give generously and you want to give faithfully and consistently and you want to encourage others, you want to see them built up, you want to see another life blossom, right? It can't all just be about me. I want to see Jesus glorified in someone else's life. If that's you, then go ahead and do it. Kick down that front door and say, this is a Jesus home and people are welcome here. And believe me, great is your reward in heaven. Why do you think Paul uh, put down Aquila and Priscilla's name here? I mean, why did he think of them? He thought of them because of the dramatic impact that they had upon his life and upon his ministry. Paul, you can stay with us for free. And Paul, we're going to feed you and we're going to work together with you. We're going to get the name of Jesus Christ established in the city of Corinth. See? All that in just one verse. (laughs) That's number one. Greetings from without. Churches, brothers, the gospel couple. Number two. Greetings from within. Verse 20b, if your Bible is open. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, what's that all about? Well, in the ancient world, a kiss was a way friends would say hello to each other. Kissing was their custom. Now, Italian families are famous for this. When I see my parents, I still kiss them with a hello and kiss them in the goodbyes. In fact, it'd be a great privilege if I could do that today when I went home. But dad is far, far away and so is mom. So Paul says, all right, continue in this customary sign of friendship with one another. Not with a different kind of kiss, but a holy kiss. Okay, in other words, greet one another Not with just a kiss, which, you know, would mark their culture. We're friends. Okay, we get that. But greet one another with a holy kiss, which would mark their new nature. Right? Because no matter how high or low we move along in Christian graces, uh, no matter how mature or immature we are as a Christian, they were holy. They were holy. They were holy because Jesus Christ made them holy. This is basic Christian doctrine. Agios is the Christian word that Paul uses. They are special to the Lord. So when you see a believer and you're going to give them the equivalent of a holy kiss, which we'll talk about in a minute, they are holy people that you're seeing. Regardless what made them holy, Paul told them in the opening chapter, he said, faith in Jesus Christ makes you holy. You are set apart. You're set aside. You're separated from sin's penalty. You belong to God. You belong to, to one another. You are given the very righteousness of the righteous one, the only righteous one, Jesus. And therefore, they were to do this common thing, uh, greet one another with a kiss, with an uncommon understanding, a, a holy kiss. Hold that for a second. What was the problem in Corinth? Well, one of the problems in Corinth is they kept judging everybody about how good or not good they're doing Christianity. It was a sore spot for the church. Here Paul says, holy people, holy kiss. Holy because we're part of the family of God. So again, it wasn't a special kind of kiss. It was still a kiss, but now the kiss meant and said so much more. So what do we have in our day? Well, we have handshakes, 
Arm around the shoulder, a good hug, a soft touch on the arm, a hand, high fives, knuckles. This is the one my daughter does. If I've been a good dad, at the end of the night, she'll say, bring it in, dad. Bring it in. And I bring it in. And I bring it in. God would have us do all those things. We're pals. Glad to see you. I don't mean to embarrass anybody, but when Dale had a little trouble with his throat when he was singing and Bob gave Dale the water, you know what Bob was doing to Dale, don't you? A holy kiss. Right in front of everybody, a holy kiss. Bob was reflecting love for his brother in Christ. And he was doing it publicly and openly. You see, that's good stuff. Signs and seals of our affection towards each other because of Jesus. Open signs. Telling us that everything doesn't always have to be so tight and sterile, arm's length in the life of the church. Telling us there's supposed to be visible signs of our affection for each other uh, to encourage us and to make the outsider say, wow, that looks nice. You know, I could use a hug right now. I could use a good handshake right now. Look at that church. Look at that church. Now you compare that to our contemporary world and clubs. Clubs, which you have to, have to uh, pay enough in dues to get in and remain in. Clubs, which have to do with you can run fast enough, you can jump high enough. Well, we are invite you into our club. Or clubs which say, if you're talented enough, or if you have enough intellect, or if your pocketbooks are full enough, then we just want you in our club. All performance-based. The family of God is, as it only can be, grace-based. Who made you holy? Who made you holy? Well, I'm very committed to the Bible. I'm very committed to prayer. And I'm very committed. I'm very committed. I'm very committed. Oh, be quiet. Jesus made you holy. He is the source of your holiness. He is the one. He is the one that grants you every success when you say no to what is wrong and say yes to what is right. Therefore, the church of Jesus Christ ought to have every kind of race and every kind of face, people wise, people not so wise, rich people, poor people, whatever, young, old, families, no family, married, single, which is utterly different than any other club or group in the whole of the world. All one here. All the same here. And one of the visible signs of this oneness is greeting one another with a holy kiss, with a holy hug, with a holy handshake. Do you know this song? It's a beautiful song. Louis Armstrong sings it. What a wonderful world. And it has the line, I see friends shaking hands, saying, how do you do? They're really saying, I love you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful church. What a wonderful church. The local church is such an easy target for condemnation. I mean, you could bring a six-year-old in here and he could tell us everything we're doing wrong. But it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be, I went to West Cohasset and I saw friends shaking hands saying, how do you do? But it was easy to see that, that what they were saying was, I love you. And then I think to myself, what a wonderful church. Here's some advice. 
The next time you're in the halls, the common areas, and someone's angry, someone's mad, someone's just not having a good day, and they're just rattling, 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 what you need to do is quote from them uh, the song from Mary Chapin Carpenter, who I think I had a crush on when I was younger. But this is what she says. They're arguing, they're complaining. You look at them and you say, why don't you just shut up and kiss me? Right? Why don't you just shut up and kiss me? Holy handshake, holy huddle, whatever it is. When I was doing my undergraduate work at the University of Texas, I took a class on human development and I learned that the longer couples are together, the less frequently they kiss. That always struck me as strange. (laughs) I kiss my wife and when both kids are home, I kiss them every day, probably too much. So the issue isn't really kissing, is it? Open signs that I love you and that I care for you and that I value you. Not a, not a select few, not only the up-and-comers or the perceived important ones, not only for the people we really like, but to everyone in the family of God. How is that possible? How can I greet one another with a holy kiss? Because Jesus Christ made these people holy. They belong to Jesus. Who am I? Who am I to reject such a person? Okay. Number one, greetings from outside the church. Two, greetings inside the church. And finally, number three, greetings from him. This is Paul. Right? Verse 21. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. So you see, the letter, the whole of the letter, was dictated by Paul to a scribe. An amanuensis is the technical term. And this person was probably Sosthenes, he mentions in chapter 1. But the point, what Paul is saying is, is here. From here on out, right, from 21 out, I'm writing the rest of this letter with my own hand. In other words, this is important. This really matters. So I want to get this right. So what does Paul do? Well, the first thing he does, he ends in a warning. Verse 22, if anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. Now, what in the world is that? Right, a moment ago we were in the corner kissing and now he's cursing. What is going on, right? Is this love or is this hate? Clearly it's love. If he hated them, he just let them go their own way. He loves them, so he warns them. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be upon him. Now it's important that you know that this is not a reference to unbelievers, This is not a reference to a seeker, agnostic, someone who's in the church. They're not converted yet, but but they keep coming back because something's going on in their head and their heart. Now, this is referring to those in the Corinthian church who were the religious hypocrites, right? He's referring to the troublemakers. He's referring to people who do not love Jesus. And so because they do not love Jesus, they cause pain and chaos to the believers and to the apostle himself. So they had a form of godliness, but they denied its power. They had claimed life in Christ, but there was no, nothing of life and speech of Christ. They, they knew the church routine, but that was part of the deception. These were, I, <clears throat> I think, the worst kind of person. A religious person with false professions, personal agendas inside the local church. A person who knows what they're doing. They know that they don't love Jesus, but they like a place like this because they can throw their weight around in a place like this. They don't love Jesus. How do we know 
that they don't love Jesus. Well, Jesus said this. Most of you know this verse. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And the commandments are clear. The Apostle John, 1 John 2, 4. Uh, whoever says, I know him, but, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth, Jesus, because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is not in that person. Indeed, now listen carefully. If a person's heart is not burning with love for Jesus on some level, not, not burning for religion or, or, or moral imperatives or just wanting to get down, things down right. No, if a person's heart is not burning with love for Jesus, the root of the matter is this calls into question if, if Jesus really lives them, them at all. Now stay with me, right? Why do people come to Jesus? Well, I've got financial problems and I want them to fix it. I got kid problems. I don't want my kid growing up robbing banks, so I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm awfully afraid of death, so I need some comfort there. Listen carefully. Jesus can fix all that stuff. But is that why we came to Jesus? Is that it? No, I came to Jesus because my sin, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise my Lord. Oh, my soul, who am I thanking? My friend, my king, my sovereign, Jesus. The ground of our salvation can only be the work of Christ. The evidence of our salvation is our continuance in Christ and our love. Hence the warning, if anyone who does not show evidence of loving Jesus Christ, of of an obedient life, walking with Christ, Paul says, anathema. That's the word, a curse, same word in Galatians. So Paul gives a warning. He gives a warning because he loves them. So after he gives the warning, he reminds them that they're waiting. Verse 22b, come, O Lord. The word is Maranatha, Aramaic word. It was brought into the language of the church. Mar means Lord, An means our, Atha is the verb to come. You put it all together and you have our Lord come or O come Lord. Now listen carefully because there's two lines of thought uh, when translators translate this verse. The first line is Paul gave the warning and then he just stops and says, oh Jesus, please come quickly. And I could get that. You wake up in the morning, you're not really looking forward to the day and you would just say, oh Jesus, please. Could it be today or maybe at the end of the day when it's all done? Jesus, could you just come back today? Maranatha, come, oh Lord, come. Do you ever find yourself saying that? That's one translation. The other translation is this. Paul gives this warning, anathema. Let them be accursed if they don't love Jesus. And then there's Maranatha. Get them out. Lord, come and get them out of the church. They're causing trouble. They're causing pain, chaos. Get them out. I think the latter is probably more correct. It makes more sense in light of the whole letter. Now, just because Paul wants him out doesn't mean that he doesn't want him saved. One of the ways that Jesus saves people is what? He gets them out of the fellowship. They're tossed into the world. They, f- under the, if one Timothy, the hand of the devil, and life gets to them, and it's too much, they repent, they come back a different person. This time really changed. No false profession, this time real. Warning, waning, finally blessing. Blessing. Verses 23 and 24. Now, when I read these verses, 23 and 24, I I said to myself, if these final verses 
um, if they mean nothing to us, that should be a warning to us. That should be a warning to us. Chapter 1, verse 3, grace to you. Chapter 16, verse 23, he ends, grace to you. That's Paul's book ends. Grace, grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Love to everyone. Not just the nice ones, but, not, but the not so nice ones. The ones who like me, I love. The ones who, Paul would say, would do just as well without me. I love. My love to all of you. The only way it matters. Do you see it in the text? The only way that it matters. In Christ Jesus. So clearly the end of the letter takes on a now a tender note. A kind of quiet tone. tone a hot tea, a cookie. Let's, let's say goodbye this way. I want the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with you. Is there any moment of your life when you would not want the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with you? And my love to you, right? He's framing everything in the love of Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Jesus is love, Jesus is instruction, and the framing of his love, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that's it, isn't it? There's only two kinds of people in the world. People that are in Christ and people who are not in Christ. There is no in-betweens. And so if you're uncertain here this morning after you hear all this stuff and you're not, your heart's not leaping for Jesus and you would admit squarely and honestly that, you know what, I like religion, I like trying to find out the truth, but you know, I don't know about Jesus. In fact, I could tell you pretty squarely that I don't love Jesus. I like to sing, I like to come, I like to hang out, but I don't love Jesus. Careful. He's a real person. He's a real person. He's the gospel. He died on a cross for our sin. He's the one. Not an ethic, not a doctrine. He's the one. He's the one. So I said at the beginning that there is no amen in most manuscripts at the close of the letter because that's the way it should be, shouldn't it? Jesus, he's the alpha, he's the omega. He's the beginning, he's the end. He's the first, he's the last. He is the one who made everything. He is the one who sustains everything. In a word, Jesus Christ is everything. And that's how Paul ends the letter. He's everything. Now it's time to say goodbye. And I have labored to preach to you the word of God from this book with the main purpose of seeing Jesus Christ exalted, seeing unbelievers believe, and seeing believers established in the truth, living a faithful life, God's way, which is the only way that it can be. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. And thanks be to God for his word. Father, we are humbled now as we say goodbye to this letter. We thank you for the 
help that you gave us as we worked through it week by week, month by month. We thank you, Father, that you were the source behind every good thing that was accomplished as your word was proclaimed. And we anticipate the same help, God, as we move along into the next book. But now, Father, may you work in each one of us what is pleasing to you through Jesus Christ. May we remember that you are in charge of our changes, that we are a holy people, and that holiness is given, not acquired, and that we would rejoice in the truth that Jesus is coming soon. And each one of the people in this room and those hearing on the web would be ready for that day and be anticipating that for that day. And we would ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.